The scripture reading today is from 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32. It can be found on page 344 in your pew Bible. If you'll please stand for the reading of God's word. First Chronicles 12, verse 32. Of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen under their command. Let's pray. God, we love you this morning and thank you for your word. Would you be with us this morning? Would you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who you are? God, I ask that you would give clarity and understanding by your word for your glory. God, would you speak to us and give grace in this room upon the speaking and the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm going to do something a little different this morning. Uh, As we're working through Chronicles, I'm not going to spend a lot of time giving us framework for where we're finding ourselves. If you're new with us, you can go back and look at where we've been. Um, What I want to do this morning is make some declarative statements. I I want to talk about what we see here in this portrait of these men from Issachar, these sons of Issachar, who the, the writer of Chronicles said they were men that understood the times they lived in. And because of that, they knew what Israel should do. I want to I talk about moving to become a people like this together as a spiritual family, understanding our times and situating because of that, what we should do. So would you look with me at your notes? We live in an hour of human history that is tumultuous. Okay. So I don't think that really needs to be said. We all feel it. We've said it again and again. We've talked about it a lot together as a spiritual family, but one of the difficulties about living in any age as a person is that we, we sometimes can become like lulled to sleep at the reality of what's happening around us because it's so quote unquote normal to us. We can't understand the water that we're swimming in. We don't, we don't understand the temperature of the pot as it's been turned up and we're the frog inside of it. And what I've tried to do again and again, as we've preached through Chronicles and even coming into it is try to rally us and remind us that the, what is going on in our world is not normal. It isn't normal. This isn't normal business as usual, the way things always have been. We are living in really tumultuous and uh, unsettled times. Around us, we're witnessing the increase of a full frontal assault against the things of God and his natural order for creation. I was thinking this morning about the psalmist's worldview. Think about Psalm 14, verse 1, the psalmist says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. What happens when a society loudly says with their mouths, there is no God? We are a foolish society, the Bible would say. 
It's not just people harboring this in their heart and living quietly that there is no God. This is a assault on the way of the creator and his creational order. We experience this in our generation through the maturation or the coming to fruition of cultural and societal revolutions that have been at work in our society for generations, right? The, the chickens are coming home to roost on things that have been working in our world for decades. And we're watching them unfold in front of us and wondering what's going on. Letter B, we live in times marked by the widespread decay of public morality, the death of institutions, and the growing acceptance of immorality and deception at the global scale. Okay, I want to just paint a picture for you all for a minute. Just because we've got to see this. And I think we all feel the same way, right? Like the whole punchline is, what do we do? Right? That's the punchline. But I think we got to get on the same page of the portrait of what's going on. So I want to talk about in the world and then in the church. We're seeing two things really go on. In the world, I want to paint a picture that we're walking through one of the most dramatic and seismic transitional periods in all of human history. Every level of society, we're, we're experiencing cultural, societal, political, economic, relational unrest. Let me give you some ingredients into this. Consumerism. Right? One of the particular and potent gods of our age. A world that's engineered. I want to say it very clearly that way. It's not haphazard. Engineered to give us anything, anywhere, now relationship to consuming goods. Right? Our pleasure, our comfort, our desires, our longings. You think about the crazy conveniences that our world gets. I can buy a box of tea at 10 a.m. and it's on my doorstep at two. Well, Ron, that's not that big of a deal, right? Maybe not that individual one, but the entire complex designed to give you a anything I want, anywhere I want it, anytime I want it, relationship to consumption, right? This is, this is dire. It's designed to get you. I don't know if you've ever heard of those, uh, studies of rats that are put like a chip in their brain that hits their dopamine, um, releaser. And they have a button that they can hit to get it stimulated. We're like the rats that literally they found these rats would, would starve themselves to death. Hitting it over and over and over and over again. Forsaking natural needs and desires that support life just to get another fix, get another hit, get another hit. Our world has created that for us. This is one of the realities that we see, right? I mean, 
A lot of you saw that thing, Social Dilemma, right? That the social media conglomerates have designed their platforms to keep you enslaved to them. The smartest people in the world working around the clock to keep you fixated on your phone. And we all know it. And we're rarely willing to do things about it. So consumerism. Think about immorality. Right? The pornification of the world, you could call it. The lies of free sex. The cultural full acceptance of homosexuality. The contagion of transgenderism. We don't just see these things The movement is acceptance and applauding. Romans 1.32, Paul's point in Romans 1 is that a society that embraces and applauds darkness and sin is not awaiting the wrath of God. That is the expression of the wrath of God. It is already upon a society when people exchange what is good for what is evil and call them such they call good evil and they call evil good it is a sign that we are presently under the wrath of god not waiting for it presently being handed over to the base desires of our own flesh and sin. Consumerism, immorality. Think of isolationism, individualism. How much of the world is designed to separate individuals from the communities and institutions that were meant to give us value and meaning and identity? Think here, the dream college life, right? You move away from your parents You're a blank slate. You get all of these pleasures right in front of you as much as you want with nobody to hold you accountable. You're separated from all of the things that are meant to give you meaning and value and identity. And we we embrace that as like, this is the dream of all dreams. This is what it means to be a normal human growing up in the world and going after whatever the American dream is. That's what we've been told. We've been told that self-discovery, authenticity, self-expression are the highest forms of virtue, flourishing, and success. And that if anybody tells you to restrain something for a better good, that they're abusing you, that they're toxic to you. Think about the war on gender. A society that's lost its ability to define what is a man and what is a woman. Right? This is an attack wholesale both on femininity, right? This devaluing of womanhood, right? That has left generations of women despising the glory of what God has created femininity to be generations. And it's an attack on masculinity, right? We can't really define what masculinity is. A lot of people 
Let me give you three things that I believe to be true in our culture right now related to masculinity. And this is going to ruffle some feathers. Number one, if it's worth being done, a woman could do it better. Every TV show in the last 40 years. If it's worth being done, a woman could do it better. Number two, if a woman can't do it, it's oppressive. Number three, if a man does do it, it's probably oppressive and toxic. There is a massive war happening right now on what it means to be created in the image of God, male and female, he created them. This is essential to the fabric of creation. This isn't like cultural construct. This is essential humanity, essential God's order. And then to put some like cherry on top, if we're putting all these things, we live in this world that's like, um, the, I, I've heard an author describe it as like soft totalitarianism. What it means, what it means is this, a growing societal pressure to conform to the spirit of the age and not just conform to it in silence to say it, right? We're getting into the words where it's like, if you don't stand up as someone that speaks out against whatever these ills are, silence is violence, right? So it's not enough to like, keep your head down and hope that things get better. It's like that gets called into question. And there is this growing societal pressure to conform, to adopt, to ingest, designed precisely to incite fear in you and submission to the status quo. So this is all outside. Then we've got this crazy town thing going on inside the church, right? We're witnessing, I believe, one of the fastest and most comprehensive transitions in the church as people are leaving the church and renouncing and walking away from Jesus en masse. There are false teachers and false prophets abounding. Taking on the the sweet sounding message of the spirit of the age, welcoming so many to come get your ears tickled. Come, scratch your tickling ears at the fountains of the world. And it's deceiving and driving multitudes away from the, from the living word and the living God. So look with me at letter C here. The primary need that we have in the church in this hour of human history is to be filled with the knowledge of God and to pursue a life of wisdom, a life ordered by what God defines as good. I'm actually, I don't know if you guys know this, if I've ever kind of come up and said this, but one of the primary prayers that I have for us is a spiritual family. I want the Lord to dump out into our midst a revival of the fear of the Lord. I want, you know, we've seen some beautiful revivals in history. There's revivals of awakening. There's revivals of healing. There's revivals of gifts. And I want all of that stuff. Please, Lord, deposit it and dispense it. But I want a revival of the fear of God where people tremble under the weight of the holiness of the almighty God, 
where we understand his immensity, his majesty, his sovereignty, his power, and we right-size ourselves up in submission to who he is. Letter D, the prophet Daniel prophesied that in times of extreme trouble, it would be people that know their God who are able to stand firm and take action. These people will possess the grace necessary to bring others into understanding. Look at Daniel 11. Speaking of a time when a man of wickedness and lawlessness would arise and test the people of God. He will seduce with flattery those that violate the covenant. But the people who know their God will stand firm and take action. They will know God and they'll know what to do. And the wise among the people will make many understand. Look at letter E. The scripture warns of days when society casts off the ways of God and exchanges them wholesale for evil. Psalm 2, the kings of the earth plotting together, counseling together. Let us go against the Lord and his anointed, his ways. How do we do it? Let's break off his bonds. The, the restraints that he puts on human order, creation order, let's break them apart. Let's discover ourselves and find our own expression of who we are, casting off all of his cords. Look at Isaiah 5. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Second Thessalonians, Paul says it this way. There's coming a day when a lawless man will come by the activity of Satan with power and false signs and wonders and with wicked deception for those who are perishing. Why does this happen? Because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so they might believe what is false. First Timothy four, Paul says the spirit expressly says that in the later times, Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So what do we do? Right? What do we do? We're not living in a world where you can just put your head in the sand. We can't just put our blinders on kind of go unnoticed, shuffling through the world, flying under the radar, kind of going folk will be folk. If it's not harming anybody, it doesn't matter. I'm afraid that we are standing at a crossroads that we need to have been preparing for as a church for 40 years. And we have slowly capitulated and said it's not time to stand up and say that yet. We don't want to look like fundamentalists. We don't want to look like those crazy, crazy people that run off and get, get going crazy about righteousness and holiness and all that. I want to go, well, it's fascinating, right? For so long, if you've ever watched, if you've been around, it's not time to say anything. It's not time to say anything. It's not time to say anything. Then somewhere, maybe like a year ago, two years ago, the page flipped and it's like, well, it's too late. We're post-Christian. It's like, 
When was the time to say something? Well, no time better than today. So let's say it. Let's look at the sons of Issachar, our passage here. Of Issachar, in this time when people were being gathered to David to move in towards the purposes of God. They were men who had understanding of the times and they knew what Israel ought to do. These chapters gave us many thematic insights into living in these transitional or liminal times, right? First Chronicles 12, 23 to 40 is this tidal wave of support coming to David. And it's amazing. You're getting these massive numbers of armies, right? 6,800, 20,000. And then you get this small little band from Issachar. 200 guys showing up going, Hey, we're here to help David. And he's like, where are the rest of you? And they go, no, 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 no. What you don't understand is we know what's going on and we know what to do. And he goes, come on, I'll take it. You know, the season and you know how to act because of it. The striking thing about this sentence is that he highlights the smallest band of people in the whole narrative. He breaks and he goes, let me tell you something about the sons of Issachar. They were a certain quality of men. They were a certain, they were cut from a certain cloth. The break from the narrative, you can go to page two here, emphasizes the importance of these 200 men. There are two observations that the chronicler makes about them. They had understanding of the times Meaning they had a pulse on what was going on in their day. They understood the cultural, political, and societal landscape of Israel and its significance. But more than that, they're not just like pundits. They knew what God was doing. They had a vision of what God was at work doing. These are like the guys from Daniel 11. Know their God and what he's at work doing. They had understanding of their times. Therefore, number two, they knew what Israel ought to do. The value of their understanding was not merely academic, analytical, or critical, right? You can throw a rock and find people with analysis and criticism. What's God doing and what should we do in response? What's God doing and what should we do in response? There understanding led to action. They perceived the implications of the times, how Israel should respond in real life. This had boots on the ground, right? They knew what to do about it. In every season, Christians, I love, there's a, there's a Christian theologian, pastor by the name of John Stott. He went to be with the Lord uh, about a decade ago or so, but he, he was really uh, widely published. He has an amazing book on preaching entitled Between Two Worlds. And I think what we need in this season is some Christians that know how to live between two worlds. What he means is the preacher is responsible to know the world of the Bible and to know the world that he lives in and help make sense of those things together. How does the world of the Bible make sense of the world we live in? And you all, you you see this every day, right? There are people who have a great pulse on what's going on outside the world, right? Cultural commentators, secular people that have a real 
understanding, but they get swept up even in the chaos of it. I think of one of my favorites. He's, he's been dead for some time now, but one of my favorites that has maybe one of the most insightful understandings on consumerism and what's going on in the world is a guy by the name of David Foster Wallace. The problem was he couldn't make sense of what to do, right? He didn't have the word to stand on. And so in his hopelessness and his desperation, he commits suicide because he's going, this is the way the world's going and I don't have any hope, right? We see this all over the place, but then we also see at times Christians who have lots of academic understanding of the Bible, but it's like no idea what to do. No idea what to do. So can we seek to become an Issachar people in this season? So look at Roman numeral three. How do we do this? I want to give just a handful of exhortations for us in this season of what to give our lives to in the midst of this season as we pursue seeking to not just understand our times, but to know how to live in them. Because, hey, y'all are asking questions. When do I quit my job at this multinational conglomerate that's increasingly forcing me to pinch the incense to Caesar? What should you do? How do you find that out? Right? This isn't academic. This is real life, real life. Okay. So I'm going to give us some exhortations here. Number one, worship, worship. The most important aspect of our lives as followers of Jesus is gathering for worship. I don't care what you do with your life. I don't care how important it is or how pedestrian it seems. What we do on Sundays is literally the most important thing we do. It is the most important thing we do. The entire life of our spiritual family needs to be ordered around right worship given to the right king. Right? Worship is not simply another part of trying to live a better life. It's not like eating kale or doing yoga. Right? Like in our day where we've separated spiritual realities and you all and I don't understand how charged this gathering is with the life and presence of God, literally changing us into the image of Jesus. We can quickly just see as like, you know, that's just like eating your vegetables or doing your workouts. And if I happen to miss it one day, it's not going to be the end of the world. Do not forsake the assembly brothers and sisters. As we live, and what does the author of Hebrews say? As the days get darker and you get closer to the day when he comes, even more, do not forsake this. Do not forsake this. Why? You and me, humans, we are created to become like what we worship. Go read Psalm 115, verse 8. If we worship God, we become like him. If we worship consumerism, the altar of consumerism, the altar of tolerance, the altar of free sex, the altar of pornography, we become more and more like the demonic gods that give animation to these things. This isn't neutral. 
Your soul is being conformed into the image of something. Your soul is being shaped and molded and conformed. We become what we worship, like what we worship. However, no demon in hell has an answer for the church being the church. What's the promise? The gates of hell will not prevail. Will not prevail. Us coming and gathering and exalting Jesus and declaring his name and preaching the gospel and worshiping him in spirit and in truth. You want to know what to do in this moment? Start there. Literally make it every week. I don't care if you got to crawl, scratch, claw to get here. Get here. Put it in as if you're traveling, go somewhere. Go somewhere. I don't even care. Like, email me. We've got networks of people. We can find a church that's going to worship and proclaim. If you happen to be traveling for your job or something, go somewhere. Do not forsake the assembly. Go and partake of the sacraments. Go hear the word preached. Go sing the songs. Orient your heart on the day that is coming when we will see him face to face, when there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. Orient your heart in that day. We have to do it. There will be many things that keep us from ordering our lives around this, right? Demons would love for that to happen. Gonna send everything your way to get you from this place. But once you're here, there's no answer for it. No answer for it. Nothing can stand against the church engaging in the midst of the darkness of the world as the church. There is no answer for it. Our weapons, our word and song, bread and wine, water and witness. These are our weapons. How do we fight the word of God? Songs of God. Bread and wine, water, witness to the coming kingdom. These are the ways that we wage warfare and push back darkness. We know the times, they're dark. What do we do? Take up the weapons that have been given us, take them up. How will we see the kingdom established in the world? Word, witness, bread, wine, water singing. This is the weapons that God has given us. It has to be the center of our week. Letter B prayer. We won't have the understanding and the knowledge of what to do in times apart from consistent and focused prayer. We must call upon the Lord to bring revelation and discernment of what it means to walk in the days we live. How do you know God? Right? If knowing God is what it means to know how to stand firm and take action, how do we know Him? We talk to Him. We talk to Him. We talk to Him. We pray. We worship. This is why I say regularly come on Wednesday nights as a corporate people. You want to strengthen your prayer life? Come and do it with people. Why does it matter for our church? 
Because we need to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. If you've been at the prayer meetings the last couple weeks, you realize half the time I'm praying in there, I'm going, God, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Reveal to us what we do. The times we're living in are dark. The times help us stand. Give us your strength. Give us your might. Give us your power. Build this place. Build us up. These are our weapons. Asking God with a spirit of trembling to be who he said he would and build us up. This is what he's called us to. Let her see the knowledge of God. Grow in the knowledge of God. It's the only way to guarantee standing firm in the day of deception and trial. Knowing God means encountering him through his word. As we grow in the knowledge of God, we grow to love the things he loves and hate the things that he hates. To stand firm in a day that is muddy and unclear and deception abounding, we actually need to know, God, what do you love and what do you not love? Because we have to align ourselves with it. We don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to redraw the lines. We don't get to go, God loves this. And the Bible says that he doesn't love this. But, you know, I don't want to go on record as saying that. I don't want to be offensive. And I don't want people to feel like I'm judging them. So I'm going to redraw the line a little bit. You don't get to do that. I don't get to do that. Either the sovereign God who sits as the king over all the earth gets to tell us or nothing at all. There's not an in-between. Do we have the courage? I love this. Do we have the courage? I'm stealing this. And I won't say who because she would be really angry if I said. Do we have the courage to step away from the noise of the world and the hustle and the bustle and your social media accounts and relationships at times, do we have the courage to step away from the noise of the world and meet the Lord? Meet him. Meet him in his book. Meet him in the place where he revealed himself to us. Do you know what God thinks about things? I like to ask questions like this. You know, because we like to despise it, right? The 1990s, everybody had the, what what would Jesus do? Bands, right? And we're too cool for that. How about we ask these kind of questions? Have you ever stopped and asked, what does Jesus think of my TV consumption? What I watch. What does Jesus think about my finances? What does Jesus think about, hey, beloved, that's the fear of the Lord. When you begin to connect with the fact that Jesus sees you, he cares, and you will give an account to him one day. When we connect to that, life begins to change. That's the fear of the Lord. All right, D, strengthen communal ties. In a moment where severing our relationships and familial ties is seen as virtuous, dignified, we have to be intentional to strengthen ties in our families, both natural families and spiritual families, right? 
When the world is designed to make us individuals that consume and nobody can tell me what to do and nobody can put boundaries around me and the greatest joy and fulfillment and glory in life is for me to discover what's really true about myself inside and give expression to that. When that's the gospel you are being proclaimed every day, what you have to do is fight against it. Yes, worship, prayer, knowledge of God, but you actually have to submit yourself within relational context. You got to put roots somewhere. You got to strengthen family ties, strengthen them in your own families, families in the room, strengthen your family ties, get off your phone, look your kids in the eyes, play together, wrestle together, sing together, read the Bible together, have a meal together, go into nature together, throw your phone in the river and go do this. Look your kids in the eyes. Tell them who they are. Help them to see who they are in the heart of God. That's where they're meant to get identity. Not by a blank slate that throws off all restraints, goes off and and finds who they really are inside of them. They are meant for a mom and a dad and peoples around them to tell them who they are. And we are meant for that in spiritual families as well. Put your roots down. Put your roots down. This is why membership matters. Hey, people in the room, uh, travel less. Travel less. It's a dead-end dream. It's a dead-end dream. You're never going to see it all. You're never going to experience it all. It's not as great as you think it is. You want to know what is as great as you think it is? Life ordered under the rule and reign of God with the people of God in the family of God. Better than anything you could ever imagine. Tie strong communal ties. Make decisions in your life, costly ones, costly ones to put down roots and commit yourself to a community of people outside of yourself. Letter E, wake up, get sober. One of the most common exhortations in the New Testament relating to living in dark dark days is to be alert, to be sober-minded, to be awake. We come awake by taking on a posture of repentance, seeking to cut ties with the things of the world. This is 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. What are the things of the world? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Wherever you see these things, that's the world at work. Repent, seek to cut ties from them, and run toward Jesus with the spirit of obedience. Hey, this one's one's becoming increasingly hard in our day and age. Here's why. We've made a lot of little concessions for convenience. And part of me wonders... Are we way past the line and we don't know how to get back? And I've been thinking about about it a lot. When Jesus tells the parable of the soils, what happens to the soil in the midst of, of the thorns, right? The seed that grows up and gets choked out. Think about a thorn. Think about a weed. It grows up in a way that so intertwines that you can't begin to pick it out. 
And I feel like we find ourselves in that so many, I mean, the amount of times that Abby and I have conversations about me, 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 I don't know if we can cross that line, but if we say no to that, what does that mean about this and this and this and this and this and this and this? And then we're like, are we going to be Amish? Maybe. They were right all along. But we say yes to a thousand small things that add up and we wonder how do we get free from them? Wake up, get sober. Sobriety is about looking at what is dulling your ability to see things clearly. Do you have the courage to come out of the world? Is it social media? Is it TV, movies? Is it video games? What is it? What's the thing that's making it to where you can't see clearly? Let's go to letter G. I just want to make a couple more points. Thank you all for bearing with me. I've been up here a lot today. Some of you all feel like that. The spirit of this age is designed to incite a spirit of fearful submission that leads to silence and capitulation. This is take a stand. Ask God for ways to stand firm in the truth. And refuse to receive a spirit of fear. Hey, every time you feel a spirit of fear, it is not from the Lord. That is a demonic spirit. What have you been given? Sound mind, might, power, self-control. This is the spirit of God at work in you. When you feel the spirit of fear, that is not the spirit of Jesus. That is not the spirit of Jesus. Refuse it. Reject it. Renounce it. Ask for God to shine his light in that place. Ask him to embolden you, empower you. Say, God, give me a sound mind in this moment to not react in fear, but to stand firm in your truth. We have to ask God for revelation. Where has our love for the world caused us to compromise the truth? This is going to require us to muster our courage some. This is who I want us to be as a church. Unwavering in a commitment to biblical expression of God's truth. God's word. When, when the government comes to take away our status as protected. Whatever that means. What are we going to do in that day? And it's probably not going to be as black and white as we thought it would be which we've seen in the last couple of years. It's going to be for good reasons, thoughtful reasons, merciful reasons. Seemingly, we're not going to abandon the truth. We're not going to forsake the assembly. That's who we're going to be. So muster your courage and then reclaim the gospel. We've subtly exchanged, I think, a missional strategy of the Bible for one that is more defined by the spirit of the age. Let me just say this quickly, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll respond together. I do not believe that we are called primarily to win people over. We're, proclaim, we're to announce the kingdom of God and the good news of salvation made known in Christ. I think we've ingested a strategy 
more informed by the world, which means we're accommodating first. Paul's strategy is this. Go read Romans. The wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Then he begins to indict everybody. Then he goes, here's the good news. God, apart from the law, has made a way for you and me to be righteous with him. To experience his righteousness, to partake of his life, to stand in his presence, to live before him. He did it apart from our works. When we didn't deserve it, when we took the truth and suppressed it in unrighteousness, when we were judged by him. We're so afraid of people feeling judged that we try to accommodate. Guess what? If people are outside of Jesus, they are judged. There's an invitation for them to receive grace in and through Jesus alone, through his life, death, resurrection, and by putting faith in him and faith in him alone. We have to receive and remember and reclaim the gospel. I think one of the ways we have to stand in this, in our age is reclaim the gospel of Jesus. Amen. Would you all stand? We're going to come to the table. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and wine. Hey, beloved, let's take up our weapons. He took bread and wine. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. This is the blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take it and drink it. Rejoice. Give witness to the world. There is hope. There is salvation in the man, Jesus Christ, in his broken body and shed blood alone. If you believe that you're a Christian, come let's wage war. Let's wage war this morning. The way we take communion at Redeemer is you tear a piece of the bread off, dip it in the cup. We have wine in the stoneware, juice in the glassware. We'll have servers up front in the middle, in the balconies and a gluten-free station to my right, to your left. If you're in the room this morning and you don't put your faith in Jesus, We want to invite you not to take this meal. This meal does not make you right with God. Jesus alone makes you right with God. You need to be confronted with the reality that you have run headlong into sin and that outside of Jesus, you are an enemy of God. And there is a way in for you. There is a welcome to you. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Look at Jesus and you will be saved. But don't come and take uh, this meal with us. This meal is for those who look in faith to that reality. This is a signifier of that reality. We're going to respond by coming to the table, by singing, and as every week. If you're getting stirred up in your heart and you're going, I want to be a son of Iskar. I want to respond. I want to, like, let's pray together. Find somebody to pray with you. Lay hands on each other. Ask God to strengthen this resolve in us, to fill us. If you need the knowledge of his will for places in your life that you're going, I don't know if I should stay in my job or quit my job or what to do with this relationship in my family. Ask God to shine his light and the saints of God would love to stand with you and ask him to do that. And he will do it. He will. So we're going to respond in that way. I'm going to pray for us servers. You're welcome to come forward. 
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have welcomed us in through Jesus. God, would you help us be a people that know you and know what to do in the times that we live in? God, rather than get despairing or overwhelmed, God, would you fill us with faith that there is no weapon in hell that can stand against what you're at work doing? Would you conform us into the image of Jesus, make us your church? God, we take up the weapons of our warfare. Would you tear down strongholds of darkness, even in this place right now, even in this place, in my heart, in our hearts, tear them down for your glory and in the name of Jesus. Amen.